Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today giving you thanks for the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you that he has conquered Satan in all of his temptations. But Lord, as we come to you today, we confess that we also are still yet tempted by the devil and, seek, and, 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 and as he seeks to draw us away from faith and trust in you. So bear us up in your mighty arms, grant us your Holy Spirit, and give us confidence in the Lord Jesus. And now this day, Lord, grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever met somebody famous? Somebody that you looked up to, a hero of yours? What was that encounter like for you? Was it, did it live up to your expectations or were you kind of let down by the experience? How did it go? I ask you this question, I, I, I think I've shared this illustration before. I probably share this illustration a lot. That's okay. We'll share it again today. But that has happened to me. I did one time run into one of my great heroes when I was a kid, a few years, a few years ago. About 30 years ago, uh, I was at spring training with my family in Arizona. And as I was uh, walking out of the restroom, I almost literally bumped into one of my all-time favorite baseball players. I, I mean, he's one of the most famous, popular baseball players. I won't give away his name, lest I slander him, but he is one of the best of all time and does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You can do the math. Now, I'm walking out. Uh, I see him. He's right there in front of me. I have a baseball in my hand, and I looked at him, and I said, sir, would you sign my baseball? I mean, this is the moment you dream about. This is actually happening. Sir, will you sign my baseball? And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, I don't do that, kid. And he walked away with his agent and just left me there reeling, upset, sad, crushed by the way I was treated by this guy that I just lionized. He was a hero to me. And he just walked away and laughed. Now, I get it. I've come to terms with it. I'm totally fine with it now. If he starts signing for me, he's got a sign for every other kid who wants to get his baseball signed. And it's not like we've ever done anything for him, like pay his multi-million dollar paycheck by buying tickets to his games. But that's beside the point. I'm not upset or bothered by it anymore. But what did I expect? As I've learned more about this guy, I probably shouldn't have expected much more than that. Uh, but were my expectations fair? That might be a conversation uh, for another time. But I want to ask that question today and, and think about this encounter I had with that guy as we think today about a new series we are getting into this Lenten season called Encounters with Jesus. What is it like to encounter Jesus? What are your expectations of Jesus' life? Are your expectations well-grounded or are they misguided? What is it like to encounter Jesus? And what we're going to see over the next number of weeks is that the, the lectionary has given us a number of texts where people in a variety of life situations encounter Jesus in different ways. And all of their encounters are very fascinating and they give us a much more uh, well-rounded and profound picture of the gospel and who Jesus is for us, and what it's like to encounter him. And what we're going to find is that these encounters all are very different encounters. The way you encounter Jesus very often will depend on who you are and your life circumstances and kind of what you're going through. Like today we're going to start with an encounter between Jesus and the devil. And we'll notice that that encounter is very different than, say, the encounter Jesus has with the woman at the well or with 
uh, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, or with a man born blind, or with Lazarus, his friend, uh, the, the dead man. The way that Jesus encounters these people is going to help us understand who he is for us and all these different sort of facets of the gospel. But today, we're going to begin by looking in, as we always do at the beginning of the season of Lent, uh, we're going to look at the temptation of Christ in the encounter he has with Satan in the wilderness. Now, this is a really fascinating text. It's one that we can meditate on and spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, but before we get into it, it's always good to know the context of what's going on in the account. It, it begins just before Jesus uh, goes into the wilderness. It begins with him being baptized. This is the beginning of his ministry. Jesus comes to the waters to be baptized by John the Baptist in order to fulfill all righteousness. And it's this wonderful scene where Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And suddenly you hear the voice of the Father from heaven who says, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus at that point begins his ministry, is making his way to the cross to carry out the salvation of the world. Here he has come to be our Savior. The Father blesses him. The Son comes up out of the water to do his saving work, all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is getting to work. But as Martin Luther once quipped, when God builds a church, Satan builds a chapel right next door. As soon as God gets to work, Satan is not far behind, seeking to undermine and undo the work in the will of God. We saw that already in our reading from Genesis this morning, which, Diane, great work. We only gave you 21 verses, and, it, and you just nailed it. Good job. That deserves an extra cup of coffee or something uh, today. Uh, <laughs> but there we see this already in the book of Genesis, where God creates this beautiful world. He has this, all of these gifts given to Adam and Eve, and everything is very good and perfect and righteous. And immediately Satan is there to what? Deceive Adam and Eve undermine the creation, draw them away from God's word and God's will. And up to this point in history, we see that Satan has a pretty good track record. Up to the point of Jesus' temptation, in fact, Satan has drawn everybody into sin in one capacity or another. But now Christ has come in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot, do what Adam and Eve could not, to conquer Satan to overcome the temptation. So Matthew writes, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil. If Jesus is going to conquer the devil for us, he must be tempted by the devil. He must be assaulted by the devil in the very same way that you and I are. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I, except without sin, so that he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness. And so this takes place. Jesus is really tempted, just like you and I are. He is tempted in the wilderness. The wilderness is that battlefield. And Satan comes at Jesus. After 40 days of fasting, he begins to tempt him in all kinds of ways where Jesus is, is weak and needy and hungry. There is Satan tempting him at his weakest, most vulnerable, vulnerable point, as he always does. But Christ doesn't give in. Christ overcomes each and every temptation and he deals Satan his first loss on the way to his ultimate loss at the cross. Christ overcomes Satan and what happens in this encounter? What happens 
when Satan encounters Jesus, he is forced to flee. After the third and final temptation, Jesus says to the devil, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and were ministering. So what happens when Satan encounters Jesus? He flees. He is forced out. He is conquered. He is sent away. And as we said in the children's message today, that means that Satan is now a defeated foe. And this is kind of the mystery, though, of the devil first. Christ has conquered him. He began the conquering work in the wilderness. He ultimately defeats uh, Satan as he dies on the cross for our sins and he crushes Satan's head. And then on the third day, Easter, he rises again from the grave, victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And yet, we still have to deal with him. He can't defeat Jesus, but the Bible tells us he still prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Satan can't stop Jesus, but he still comes for you. And just as when Jesus was baptized and immediately the devil was there tempting him, when you were baptized, you got the sign of God on your forehead and then you also got a target on your back. The devil sees you now and he wants to draw you away from Christ. He's always going to attack your faith. He wants your heart. He doesn't care where your heart is so long as that it is not in the hands of Jesus Christ. He doesn't care where your faith is placed so long as you are not trusting in Jesus. So he comes after us when we are weak and needy and prone to wander. He tries to draw us away from Christ. Which is why it is so crucial for us to understand that when Satan comes tempting, Christ Jesus is our refuge and our strength. For he's already conquered Satan. And Satan has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus always drives him away. So what we want to do today is look a little bit at what it is that Satan does to try and draw us away from Christ, look a little bit more closely at the nature of the temptations we receive, and then see how Jesus has won the victory for us, how Jesus is our refuge and our strength, that is our, is our mighty fortress, as we will sing here uh, at the end of the service. The first thing you need to know is that as the devil comes for your heart, He's always going to go, he's going to start by trying to get to your heart through your mind. He wants to get to your heart through your mind. That is, he wants to come and he wants to convince you that you don't need to trust what God has said. He wants you to think that God's word is wrong, that God's word is insufficient. He wants to twist and distort God's word so you don't think that God is telling you the truth. He goes to your heart by, by avenue of your mind. Now, it's at this point that I want to tell you something that I found recently that I I think is very interesting uh, about Satan. When you go to the Bible, what you're going to find about the devil is this, is that he doesn't actually have a proper name. Did you you know this? This is interesting. Uh, Like, we don't have an account where God says, okay, I'm going to name that angel over there Satan Jones or something like this. That's not how it works. Uh, But the devil, the names he is given are always descriptions of his activity. So he doesn't have a proper name, but we know of the nature of his work by the description of him. So for example, today when Jesus is taken into the wilderness, uh, Matthew writes, the tempter came to him. This fallen angel comes and his role, his work, is to tempt, to draw us away from God and his word. 
So he's going to try and tempt you away, draw you away by getting you to think that the Ten Commandments, for example, are a wrong view of how we should conduct our lives in this world. He's going to try and tempt you away from the Word of God summarized, say, in the creed by getting you to think that that's something about that creed that God is not something you should trust. He's going to try and draw you away from the gift of prayer, prayer where we go for, for refuge and strength, protection from the attacks of the devil. He's going to try and draw you away from prayer. He's going to try and pull you away from God's gifts and attach you to his deadly trap. That's what temptation is. To get you to start thinking that what God says is insufficient or wrong so he can draw you away from it and do his deadly trap. And you need to understand something. We must be secure and know the word of God as Satan comes to us with these sorts of things. Because when Satan comes to attack our minds, he will come and he will distort the word of God. You need to know this. The devil probably knows the Bible better than you and I do. He's got it memorized. He doesn't trust it, but he knows it. And he knows how to twist it and manipulate it to get us to question it. We heard it already right away in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? And he immediately starts to distort the word. You hear him doing it with Jesus in the temptation today, the second temptation. Uh, the, the devil comes and he starts quoting Bible verses to Jesus. Imagine the audacity, quoting Bible verses to Jesus. But he's trying to quote those verses against God's will and purposes. He's trying to use the Bible against God's will. Which is why it is so important for us to be studying the Word, to be in the Word, to be learning the Word together so that when the devil comes and tries to distort and twist the Word of God, we're ready and standing on the truth. After all, that's what Christ has done for us to defeat him. He kept throwing the Word of God back in Satan's face. It is written, it is written, it is written. And Satan had nothing to say when Jesus used the Word faithfully. But I just want to give you some examples of where I see this sort of thing kind of taking place in our culture right now because I do see that the devil is always attacking the Scriptures and always trying to get us to sort of undermine our faith in them. For example, you will hear uh, things like this where the devil will come along and he'll say things like, well, the Bible, that's just like, that's old archaic nonsense, right? I mean, geez, that's a book that, that promotes slavery. And if you, if you like the Bible, that probably means you're racist and you like slavery. And you go to the Bible and there's probably some quote in there about how slaves should honor their masters or something like this, and it might sound like the devil has a case to make here. But what the devil fails to help you recognize is that when the Bible talks about humanity, it talks about how all of us have been created in the image of God. That all of us have a particular dignity, that all of us have a responsibility and a role in this creation, and that those roles and responsibilities are good things. Not that slavery is a good thing, of course not. But that all humanity is beloved and created in the image of God. All of us have dignity. That's the first Another one I hear a lot now lately is, is how the devil will twist the scriptures and he'll say something like this. Well, you know, the Bible, and Jesus, he never talks anything about, uh, you know, homosexuality, so the Bible really has nothing to say about that. Until you go and, you know, read Jesus, and you realize that he is very clear on the nature of marriage. He is very clear on what it means to be a man and a woman. He is very clear on those things, and if we're going to talk about those issues, we must do so in light of what Jesus has actually said. I mean, let's, let's pick another fun topic since we're just on a roll here. Uh, some people will say, well, the Bible never really has anything to say about abortion. Okay, maybe it doesn't use the exact word, but it does talk a great deal about how God has created us in the womb and how Christ came in the flesh in the womb of Mary and how God's saving work applies to us 
throughout every single phase and stage of life. And on and on the list goes, but you see what the devil does is he takes these sort of cheap distortions of the scriptures and he twists and he turns them to try and get us to not trust what the scriptures say or not turn to the scriptures for the truth that we need to hear. And so, for us, when Satan comes tempting, when you start hearing this sort of thing, did the Bible really say? Flee to the scriptures. Run to Christ who is there, who always speaks the truth to you and to me in love. And there Christ will be our guide, and that word will be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And when we hear the word, it silences the lies of the devil. There's another way that Satan will twist, twist and turn the scriptures. is when he comes to you and he says something like this. He finds you in your guilt and in your sin. And he'll say something to you like this. You call yourself a Christian? And you sin like that? You think you're a baptized child of God and then you acted that way? God will never have anything to do with you. God would never welcome someone like you into his kingdom. God really say he would love a sinner like you? At this point, again, you turn to the scriptures. And there you see that Jesus says things like this. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus has come to be the healer of the sick. Jesus does, in fact, come for sinners. And this brings us to our second way that the devil tries to steal our faith and he tries to take our heart. If he's not going to do it by means of our mind, he's going to make his way in through the conscience. And the devil is always trying to assault our conscience. This gets to another name that Satan has received in the Bible that's very important for us to understand. The word Satan is actually derived from a Hebrew word which means accuser. Satan is the Hebrew word for accuser. Uh, the word diabolos, which is, which is devil in the Greek, also means the same thing. Accuser or slanderer. And this is who the devil is by nature. He wants to accuse you. He wants to slander you. He wants to draw you into sin and draw you into temptation by doing this. He'll say something like, did God really say this? You're probably okay. It's okay for you to sin. It's okay for you to do that. Just give in and go for it. God will forgive you anyways. No big deal. And then you do it. And then you feel terrible. Then you feel like garbage. And the devil comes along and he's like, what did you do that for? Of course God told you not to do that. You fool. You are weak. You are pathetic. God could never allow someone like you into his kingdom. And he accuses you and piles on you. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, he'll even twist the gospel here. You call yourself a baptized Christian? You think that God's still going to welcome you after you commit that sin? He'll, use, he'll try and use the gospel against but again, it is, this time, it is at this time when you turn to Christ and you flee to Jesus for the victory that is already yours. Because here's the good news. Satan attacks your conscience, but your conscience is secure in the hand of Christ Jesus. For he is your righteousness. So Jesus says to your accuser, hey, why don't you send those accusations my way? I am their righteousness. I have taken their sin upon myself. I who knew no sin became sin for them, so they might become the righteousness of God. Again, I'm, using, I'm just recycling a bunch of old illustrations here today, but one of my favorite illustrations from Luther in all of this is when Martin Luther says, when the devil comes to you with your sins, he comes with a list of your sins, and just starts piling on you with guilt and shame. When he does this, Luther says, look at the devil and you say, you know what? 
you're right. Those are my sins. And quite frankly, there's a few you left off the list. But what of it? I'm baptized. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to come at me with my sins? Go talk to Jesus because he's taken them away from me and they belong to him now. They're no longer mine. I love that illustration. And I kind of like to picture like that conversation actually happened. Like you say that to the devil, you go talk to Jesus about those sins. And the devil looks at you like a petulant child and he's like, okay, I will. And so then he takes his list and he goes over to Jesus with your sins and he says, here you go. This is the one you died for. You think this guy deserves to be in your kingdom? Look at all of this stuff. And I imagine Jesus seeing the devil there and looking at the list and kind of getting a smirk on his face. And he goes, you know, I haven't seen that list for a long time. I had a copy of that thing and I took it with me and I nailed it to the cross and I blotted out all of those sins and I don't even think about them anymore. They don't even cross my mind, Satan. That is my beloved child. I have forgiven everything and there's nothing you can say to me about them. I will not hear your accusation. And the devil is dumbfounded. He is silent and he is forced to flee. Your sins are completely forgiven, and the more Satan tries to throw them in your face, the more you can rest secure and assured that you dwell in the nail-pierced hand of Jesus Christ. Your guilt is there, and the shame is piled on you because the devil doesn't want you to trust Jesus. Notice how he does that. He's after your heart by way of your conscience. If he can convince you that Christ isn't enough to save you or forgive you, he can get you to put your trust in something else your works, your religion, your morality, anything but Jesus. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus shuts his mouth. For Jesus will not give your heart over to Satan. Jesus looks at you and says, I have you in the palm of my hand and I will not let you go. You are mine and you are forgiven. You have sins, you have guilt, you have shame, says Jesus. Bring it to me and I will forgive it every time. You have doubts and you have fears. You come with those to me and I will tell you the truth in love every time, says Jesus. Satan is a liar and an accuser. He's a big talker. Christ Jesus has come to shut his mouth. And when the devil encounters Christ, he is forced to flee. For Christ who dwells in your heart and reigns over you with mercy and forgiveness says to the devil, be gone. He is no match for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will never hand you back over to him. You are his. Amen. We pray. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, that you have conquered Satan through the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray now this day, Lord, that we would trust that we belong to Jesus, that you would secure our hearts and our minds in his promises found in his word. Lord, we pray that you would bind Satan from our consciences, you would bind Satan from our thoughts, and you would teach us the truth trusting in you at all times. And let your will be done for us here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.